Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're here this morning and we're ready to study the Bible with you. And hopefully that's why you've tuned in. Uh, maybe you've tuned in because you wonder what this program is about. Let me explain very briefly. Uh, we answer viewers' questions. Our goal is to help all of us know our Bible better. And we've found one of the best ways to do that is just let you ask what you want to know about the Bible. Some religious TV programs tell you what they think you need to know. Uh, we let you decide what you'd like to know. So if you've got some questions about the Bible, something you've always wondered about, something you've heard that you think, that just can't be in the Bible, uh, ask us. We'll see if we can find an answer for you in the Bible. So there's a phone number and a website on the screen. You can use those anytime. Get in touch with us. Let us know what you'd like us to talk about on Know Your Bible. And me and my partner, Toby Levering, will try to answer those questions for yes, you. Good morning, will. Toby. Good morning, Steve. I'm Steve Tandy, and we're ready to go with a lot of good questions, but viewers get the first one. So here's your question for the day. Which tribe of Israel handled the religious duties? There was one tribe that was assigned to take care of the tabernacle and the temple and all that, and we'd like to know the name of that tribe. and. We'll give you the answer at the end of the program. Looks like you drew number one today, Toby, so you get to start us off. Okay, question about Satan. The question is, why is Satan allowed to do physical things to us? Well, I'm not sure that he is. Um, uh, first of all, I, I need to acknowledge that, yes, Satan is a real entity. The Bible speaks about him in different ways. Uh, from the beginning uh, in the creation story, he's the serpent all the way to the very end. He's called again that ancient serpent. And uh, so he is real. Jesus said uh, in John chapter 10, uh, the thief, referring to our enemy, uh, comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. So Jesus was even aware, and certainly he was tempted by Satan uh, at the beginning of his ministry. So, and he's uh, been dealing with our ancient foe uh, for a long, long time. So Satan is real. Uh, however, he, he is limited on what he can do, and he's limited. You read the story of Job, we get that picture in the early part of Job, uh, that Satan wanted to afflict Job, and, and God always set limits around what he could do. So Satan is absolutely limited, and God's not going to let him uh, do things to us. Um, and I know some people say that, you know, every every bad thing that happens, you know, they can't find a parking spot, and then, well, the devil's after me today, you know. Well, okay, <laughs> perhaps. Um, <clears throat> we're just not given insight into how the devil works, how he thinks, um, what his tactics are and all of that. I'm personally not inclined to believe that every bad thing that happens to me 
is a work of Satan. Now, I think he will use any opportunity uh, to get us to turn away from our Father, to get us to, to uh, be unfaithful to the Lord, to do things, to, to sin and to do things. But he, I don't think he can make us do those things. That, that choice is in our hands. Now, if he can certainly influence us, like he couldn't make Eve partake of the fruit, uh, but he could, he could whisper things. He could, he could uh, uh, cage things. He could uh, set things up where it kind of seemed to uh, make it appear better than it was. So he's real. He does act, but I don't think he acts in, in every physical thing bad, every sickness that we have, every cold that we get is necessarily a work of Satan. Uh, we have to keep perspective that even though the devil is real and he is absolutely serious about our destruction, uh, we serve one who is greater. And if we're following Jesus, the Apostle John said, Little children, you are from God. This is 1 John 4, 4. You are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So we're told again and again that that if, as long as we're faithful to the Lord, we don't have to worry about Satan. He's real, uh, but he can't afflict us and he can't make us do things. And I don't think he's allowed to physically afflict us uh, in in what you know with with uh, in our life today. So there is a verse in Peter, First uh, Peter chapter five verse eight, in which he warns us. He says, "Be sober-minded, be serious, be watchful." Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So he's always looking for opportunities, but the choice, whether we uh, do his bidding or do the what the Lord wants, is up to us. I hope that helps you. All right. If you ever want to know about a Bible word, what is sackcloth? And uh, they've either been reading in the Old Testament where sackcloth is mentioned pretty frequently, or maybe they've been reading in Matthew. Jesus said... Uh, that a couple of cities they should have repented in sackcloth and ashes. So it's a word we don't use today. We don't hear about it. What it is, sackcloth is uh, goat's hair, uh, usually black goat's hair, and it's coarse. And uh, you make a garment out of it, a shirt or a coat. And if that sounds uncomfortable to you, uh, that's the idea. <laughs> sackcloth is something that uh, people in the Old Testament put on to mourn. Uh, it was a sign of mourning. And they would put on this garment that was uncomfortable and uh, would make them feel even worse, I guess. So it was kind of a strange way of mourning. And what Jesus talked about, sackcloth and ashes, when you were really mourning, you'd put on a sackcloth garment and then sit on the ground and take ashes from the fire and pour them over your head. Uh, throw them on you, just make life miserable, I guess, was the idea. Uh, modern days, uh, some monks uh, wear like a hair shirt, we call it today, uh, to mortify the flesh, uh, to show that the flesh can't control you. Uh, be uncomfortable and bear it. Uh, kind of a strange idea, but some people still believe that. So that's what sackcloth is, very uncomfortable garment. Uh, something I would 
not be interested in <laughs> trying out personally. Nor I. <laughs> All righty, that's sackcloth. Okay, uh, next question is uh, about Jesus' death. Did Jesus die for a select few or for everyone? Well, there is a doctrine of teaching uh, uh, that basically uh, takes a few verses and uh, says that Jesus' death was um, a limited atonement. It was only for a select few. Uh, this doctrine, uh, summed up, is is called Calvinism. And uh, John Calvin came up with the five basic elements of it. Uh, TULIP is the acronym to remember. And uh, one of those, the L in TULIP, is limited atonement, uh, meaning that when Christ died, it was for the atonement. His sacrifice was perfect, and and it was, therefore it was those that God had preordained, the, the elect, and that God that sacrifice was for them. It's full and complete. Um, I think, and I'm I'm not a Calvinist, so I'm trying to represent it fairly. I think they would say that Jesus' sacrifice was perfect. Uh, and if it was for everyone, then why is not everyone saved? And the answer to that is because, uh, though it is for everyone, God's left the decision, the final decision, whether to accept that grace or not, in our hands. And that's another point that they would disagree. Uh, they would, in the eye of Tulip, they would say it's irresistible grace. Uh, God's grace is poured out and... Uh, those on whom it is poured out cannot resist it. Uh, the basic disagreement is the matter of free will and choice. So uh, th those that's where that doctrine, that teaching comes from, uh, that Christ's perfect sacrifice uh, would, would be 100% effective because it was meant for a specific group of people that God had foreordained and pre-selected. And we just... I just don't believe that. There are too many other scriptures in the Bible that uh, go against that idea. And anytime we have a doctrine, a teaching, a belief, um, <clears throat> we want to be very careful about, you know, here's my belief, and now let me mold the Bible to that belief. Instead, what we want to do is uh, say, here's my belief, now let's put that under, the, let's weigh that against scripture, and if it's not in line with Scripture 100%, then I've got to correct my belief some way. So that's the attitude I think we have towards Scripture, and uh, the idea of limited atonement just doesn't jive with several of the Scriptures, and there's a couple we'll look at on the screen together. Second Peter chapter 3, 9, Peter said, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Okay, Peter's very clear. God wants all to come to repentance. It's not his will that anyone should be condemned eternally. Um, and so that's his will. First uh, John chapter 2, verse 2. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Who's he talking about here? Christians. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Well, if that's true, then doesn't... I mean, are there unbelievers? Are there atheists who are going to be saved? No. He's saying... This sacrifice is the once for all perfect, complete, final sacrifice of God. 
and it's the last, you know, it's sort of the last hope that, that anyone has. And that's been given for the whole world. Now, it's up to the whole world whether or not they want to uh, receive that gift. But, uh, no, we believe that Jesus died for everyone and that that atoning sacrifice is perfect uh, because it was from the Lamb of God. I hope that helps you. Yeah, it may take just a second to talk about a good way to study the Bible. We uh, study the Bible with you for each week for a few minutes, but uh, there's a whole lot more in the Bible than we get to. So we've got some Bible study tools for folks that want to study on their own and get more familiar with the Bible. Uh, here's the first lessons that we'll send you. There are eight of them in this course. And just a good overview of the Bible. Uh, we've got more advanced courses after you finish that one that uh, take you into all different topics and uh, books of the Bible, and you can learn a lot about the Bible with Know Your Bible study tools. We've added an online course. If you'd like to do that, instead of using the mails, and, uh, paper, and pen, you can do it right on your phone or your tablet. Uh, just go to oneway.worldbibleschool.org and get signed up for that, and you can start studying the Bible today. So, great way to study the Bible, all of those phone number, website on the screen. Use those any time to get in touch with us. Say, I want that free course. We'll get it started for you. So study the Bible. Question about uh, destroying idols. It's kind of an interesting question. The viewer said, should we destroy false idols like Buddha statues, or are they historical objects to be preserved? And the viewer went on and explained that this question came up because of uh, Islamic radicals are prone to destroy other religions, uh, holy sites and sacred sites and historical sites and things like that. Uh, so this viewer wondered, that should Christians be destroying false idols or not? So uh, I thought that was a pretty interesting question. The Old Testament, uh, periodically, when the Israelites came back to God after worshiping idols, one of the first things the good king or the new prophet did was to tear down the altars, to destroy the holy places of Baal and Asherah and all that, uh, tear them down and destroy them and burn them, uh, get rid of them, and then start worshiping Jehovah again. So there is a biblical precedent for it. Uh, but today, like our viewer says, we go to a museum and see all kinds of false idols, uh, historical artifacts, and they're interesting to us, and we look at them, but we, I don't ever think of destroying them. Uh, in fact, I had to think extra hard about this question because I've got a couple of false idols in my home office. Uh, years ago, I, we visited the Mayan ruins of Chichen Itza, and I bought two little statues, one of Kukulkan, who's the snake god, uh, and then I bought one that was a, a chakmul, which is something you offer sacrifices to false gods with. Uh, they remind me of the trip. Uh, they sit on my bookshelf. Uh, I've never thought about <laughs> destroying them because they're a false idol. Um, and I don't think I need to. I think they are historical objects. But the viewer made me think, uh, I think the deciding point would be, is there any danger of somebody worshiping them or being uh, tempted to worship them or something like that. To me, they're just pure historical objects. Now, if a new Christian came to church and uh, visiting with him, he told me he used to be a Mayan follower of the Mayan religion. He was converted from that. 
if I had him over at the house, I'd probably take down my statues. I, uh, I probably wouldn't destroy them. I'd put them in the closet or something, but <laughs> I, I wouldn't have them out where there would be a temptation to him. So to me, that's the distinguishing, deciding point is, uh, are they any danger to somebody being tempted to go back into a false religion or something. So, no, false idols uh, mainly are historical objects, I think, is my opinion on that. <laughs> okay. A uh, question about being yoked. What does unequally yoked mean? Well, unequally yoked, simply uh, it was a picture uh, in a more agricultural world, and even today, uh, yoke just was binding two uh, beasts together, maybe a yoke of oxen, for example. They were plowing uh, something, and the beasts would work together, and the yoke was to basically make, effectively tie the two as one, so they work together and actually get a lot more work done when you yoke uh, two beasts that are equal in size and strength. Uh, but if you put a, a, a very strong powerful ox uh, next to a young, weak, sickly one, uh, it's actually going to hinder things uh, because the, the the sick, weakly one can't keep up with the stronger one and the stronger one's slowed down because of it. And so this is a kind of a neat picture uh, that Paul's using in teaching the, the church at Corinth about the relationships. And uh, uh, here's what he says. This is in Second Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, verse 14 and 15, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or, or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? All right, so it's just giving us a principle here that we need to be uh, mindful of our... Uh, certainly the most immediate thing that you think of is marriage, okay? Uh, you've got someone who loves the Lord, fears the Lord, reads their Bible every day, prays, has a relationship with God, is growing and thriving as a Christian, and uh, they meet an atheist, and they decide they're just in love with them. Well, what's that going to do to them spiritually, right? You're, you're going to have an unequal yoke there, okay? Uh, that's what Paul's warning against. Um, I suppose, and I've heard it said, uh, you could apply it toward uh, uh, a business partnership, for example. And, and if you think about it, if you've got one uh, businessman or woman who uh, fears the Lord, loves the Lord, wants to do what's right, do what's ethical, treat people fairly, follow the golden rule, and they partner up with uh, somebody who's crooked and slimy and always cheating people, uh, that's not going to work out very well, you see. So that's what he's saying is we got to be careful about being unequally yoked. Now, <clears throat> Christians live in the world, have to function in the world, and uh, I think you have to use some discernment. But a yoke was more than just uh, an acquaintance. A yoke uh, represented a, a real binding relationship, marriage, maybe a business partnership, uh, maybe even a close friendship might be. Um, uh, be. Just be careful of things where you're tying yourself together, yoking yourself with someone. You, If you're going to do that, you need to give great thought, great discernment, certainly much prayer, into the spiritual condition of that person. If they're at the same level you are, if, they're, if they are <clears throat> in relationship with the Lord, if they fear the Lord, if they love the Lord, so forth. So um, 
that's the basic principle. Don't be unequally yoked. Give thought to the people that you enter into relationships with, contracts with, marriage, uh, and so forth. And uh, wise people would say, don't, don't unequally yoke yourself. It will not be helpful to you. Hope that helps. All right. A viewer <coughs> says, the Bible condemns the eating of swine. Uh, why is it okay to eat swine today? Well, because the law where the Bible says that is not in effect anymore. Uh, the Old Testament is different than the New Testament. And that's one reason our first Bible correspondence course starts with that. Understand the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And a lot of people don't draw that distinction. They open the Bible. Uh, they see something in the Old Testament and they say, well, why don't we do that or why do we do that? Uh, Yes, swine eating and along with a whole lot of other things, including bats, by the way, uh, the Old Testament said to not eat. God knew they weren't good when not preserved right and all that, so he condemned it. Now, that law is not in effect. So to answer your question, that's the answer. It's like uh, if you picked up a, a city law from 1881 uh, there's some things in there that say don't do this or do this. Uh, we don't follow those anymore because that law has been superseded. There are new laws on the books. Well, let's look at a few verses in the New Testament that will answer your question, I think. Mark 7, 19, uh, Jesus was talking about food not making you unclean. And in saying this, Mark adds, Jesus declared all foods clean. That's pretty clear. Uh, Acts chapter 10 and verse 15 said, Do not call anything impure which God has made clean. And then one that uh, settles it for sure is Paul was writing to the Colossians about this very problem. Uh, some people wanted to follow Old Testament laws. And Paul said, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So they had the same problem in the first century that we still have today. Some people had some Old Testament laws that they said, well, we ought to follow this because the Bible says it. And Paul said, don't let anybody judge you by the old law. Follow the new law. Now, that was a shadow of things to come. Now we've got the reality. Uh, that's why it's okay to eat swine today take this moment and invite you to visit a church of christ near you uh, this program is produced by the churches of christ and uh, supported by many of them and we like to mention a few each week so there's a few in south central kansas in hutchinson if you uh, live in that area the eastwood church of christ is a longtime supporter of Northside and wayne dewentz the minister there and a, I know you'd enjoy meeting him and the great family at Eastwood. Uh, St. John, Kansas has a great little church of Christ there. John McKeel's the minister, new minister there. Uh, if you get in one of the, live in one of those areas and looking for a church home, uh, drop in and visit them sometime. Uh, maybe you just know a member at one of those churches. Tell them you watch Know Your Bible and appreciate them keeping us on the air. So thank you, Eastwood and St. John, for your support. All right, holidays. We have a question about holidays. Uh, do you celebrate all the pagan holidays? Well, nope, not to my knowledge. <laughs> I don't celebrate the pagan holidays. Um, so, uh, yeah, th 
this is sort of a question. It seems a little passive aggressive to me. <laughs> um, some people have a, a problem with holidays and their, their hang up with holidays is that there's pagan origins to them um, and that you can almost trace back any holiday um, Christmas, uh, Halloween, Easter, there's some sort of pagan connection, different things uh, that we do today that have some origin back in paganism. Um, and so I understand that. I understand what the uh, viewer might be uh, asserting. And so, you know, is it wrong to celebrate those holidays if they have any connection with paganism? Well, um, good luck trying to do that. If you're watching this program, you're watching it on a Sunday. Okay, the origin of the word Sunday was actually came from a, a pagan Roman god. It was called the Sun's Day. It was uh, connected to their worship of the sun. And uh, that, of course, went all the way back to ancient Egypt. So when we use the word Sunday, are we celebrating the, the worshiping the sun, the S-U-N? No, not at all. Um, so it, we, you know, we kind of just get the world we're given and then we use the names that we're given and we celebrate the holidays and the traditions that we uh, celebrate. Now, if you're worshiping a foreign god, if you're uh, worshiping an idol, if you came out of idolatry and paganism, then yeah, I understand those concerns and you certainly would not want to do anything to violate your conscience. Uh, but no, we don't uh, celebrate pagan holidays. And as far as Christians, we should uh, use discernment on that. Uh, probably the biggest one that gives people some um, issue is Halloween uh, and because of some of the uh, origins of that and all of that. If you have a problem with it, then certainly don't celebrate it. But if there's other little kids dressing up in costumes and going trick-or-treating and all of that, and they're, you know, don't be judging them for doing so if their conscience allows them to do so. Uh, believe it or not, the scriptures do speak to this issue about how we deal with one another as a uh, in our consciences. Let's look at Romans chapter 14. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while all another esteems all days alike. Each one, I think this is a key, should be fully convinced in his own mind. So uh, we, we need to, I mean, if, if you've got a history and a background with all that in it, then certainly I could understand how it would affect your conscience. Don't violate your conscience, but no, we don't uh, celebrate any paganism or holidays that I know. I mean, for me, I, I don't know about Steve, so. I'm, I'm the one with false idols in my office. Oh, so. that's right. Yeah, yeah. Send him the uh, hate mail, please. <laughs> okay. Uh, when we pray, should we pray to God, Jesus, Lord, or Heavenly Father? Uh, my answer is Yes, <laughs> most of those are just fine. Uh, I know what you're asking, and uh, I think the basic principle is Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, and he addressed the prayer to our Heavenly Father, our Father which art in heaven. Uh, he addressed God the Father. And then we're also told that we are able to approach God through Jesus. He's the one mediator. So that's why we say at the end of the prayer usually in Jesus' name, through his authority. Uh, but uh, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit are all God, and uh, any of those titles might be all right. But in general, I think it's the principle we should pray to God the Father through Jesus. We're out of time. Let's answer our trivia question. Which tribe of Israel 
handled the religious duties, and most of you probably know that was the tribe of Levi. The Levites were the priests. I'm glad you've been with us today and hope you can make it back next week for more of your questions. Till then, have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.